I remember sitting alone once thinking I wouldn't have missed this for the world. Which is a very odd thing to say. I do appreciate. I will say what needs to be said. You know, I will say the loudest. Well, hi, Manj. Long time no see. Right, so um, my name is Manjit, um, and I am uh, ooh, 47 years old, and I feel reluctant to admit that, but I am. I looked after my mom and my dad. Um, I started doing that when I was 25, um, and that went on for almost 10 years, um, and during which they both passed away. My dad from Alzheimer's and vascular dementia, my mom from terminal cancer. At the moment, I am remotely um, helping my um, cousin who is, who has doesn't have yet have a diagnosis of dementia, um, but um, I'm helping him and his family. I walked away from an arranged marriage and um, that meant most of the family um, disowned me and they've only got in touch at the beginning of this year because they are stuck um, and they don't know where to go. I am, yeah, advising. And it's interesting, these were the very same people who said that it was because I walked out of my arranged marriage that my father got dementia in the first place. Well, I'm Peter Watson. I uh, uh, I am actually 74 in two days' time, which is quite frightening, I have to say. But anyway, I cared for my wife, Brenda, who was diagnosed with vascular dementia when she was 59. Uh, I was about the same age. I cared for her at home for about two and a half years until neither of us could cope. And after that, she went to live in a nursing home. And she actually died, would you believe, two years ago today. So it's quite a lot of anniversaries around at the moment. Um, but my life is nowhere near as colourful as Menge has been. I was caring for my parents on my own. And this is one of the things that I say quite a lot, is that um, I, I came up uh, against a lot of assumptions um that both um people generally had in the you know wider community but but statutory bodies had which was i'm clearly part you know being asian i must be part of a really big network of people or i must have a really large family or i must have people that i can um fall back on and it wasn't that case it was me and me alone my younger brother lives in canada um, and yes, most people would say, oh, it was his responsibility. Well, you know, his, he, he and his wife didn't want the responsibility. I mean, you know, they had their own lives and it was a case of, you know, someone had to do it. I could have put my parents into a home. I didn't, I chose not to do that. I, you know, that isn't culturally acceptable, but, you know, like I say, such street bodies, everybody I spoke to said to me, oh, you know, you've got a big family. Well, no, I haven't. It was me and me alone. You know, and I suffered for that. You talk about assumptions. I mean, um, uh, Manj talked about the powers that be within dementia, um, the medical, the clinical profession, the support, social service and everything. Um, certainly 
when both of us were caring, um, assumed that people with dementia were old. In other words, old being over the age of 65, and in fact, even older than that. It took ages to get my wife uh, diagnosed at the memory service, and eventually I found out why, and that was that there was no budget for anybody under the age of 65. My wife was classed as having what's called young onset dementia. And the other thing is there's no provision at all for carers who were young, who were spouses. In some places, there were support groups that brought siblings together to help um, uh, to, to to discuss how to manage their um, their parents and so on the older person, but that did not apply for uh, to people like myself. There was no support at all for um, carers of younger people with dementia. My dad was very. Um... My father had served in World War Two um, as a 14-year-old um, in the British Indian Army. And I think that had taught him that he wasn't going to give away very many emotions. And, you know, he'd seen that he'd been in the army during the partition of India and Pakistan. He'd, been, he'd fought in Kashmir. He'd done a lot of, you know, he'd been a soldier for 18 years and then came to the UK and faced a lot of racism. We uh, Wolverhampton, you know, everyone knows about Enoch Powell. Uh, you know, we had National Front members running up and down our street growing up in the 70s and 80s. One thing that he wasn't was affectionate and, you know, he was kind, but he was like, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the guy that you went up to for a hug. You know, he didn't hug. At the age of five, you you could walk on your own, therefore you walked on your own. And all of a sudden, I would, you know, he would do something that would really irritate me. And I would say to him, if you don't, you know, I, I think the worst thing possible that he would absolutely hate. And I would say to him, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to hug you and I'm going to kiss you. Is that what you want? Is that really what you want? And he would put his arms out and go, all right then. <laughs> and I remember being floored, thinking, oh my God, he actually expects me to hug him and kiss him. You know, um, and I remember he'd turn his face, he'd go, kiss me on this side and kiss me on this side. And, that was a side to him that I never knew because he wasn't that guy. And, yeah, I could, you could talk about it and we laugh about it. But, you know, and I feel sorry for my brother because he never saw it. He never got that. I look back at it now and I think I probably was fortunate to be doing it. But at the time, it felt like hell. You said you feel you were quite fortunate with looking after your, your dad and your mum. Actually, I feel the same. Uh, I have said on occasions that however awful the process of losing my wife was, because I began losing my wife probably two years before she was diagnosed in terms of the person she was. She changed and she changed and she changed until eventually uh, she died. But uh, in the in the process, she went into uh, a nursing home during that period of time, I changed as an individual. I learned how to care. I'd never been like that. If I went to the supermarket, I would always take Brenda to the supermarket with me, for example. And But I couldn't let her 
sort of go separate, if you like, from me, because she'd just wander off somewhere. And I'd spend half my time dodging people with a trolley, trying to find her again. So what I did was always got her to push the trolley, but I stood at the front guiding where it went. And so we developed a way in which we could shop. We used to go and have a cup of coffee in the in the um, in the supermarket, and she used to love her, um, a a latte. So I'd go up and I'd get her a latte, and of course it'd come in one of the big cups, and she'd spill half of it. So after a time, I, the people there got used to us, and so I always asked for a small latte and a big cup, please. Yeah, my dad was um, my greatest support. You know, he he was like my best mate. He was the guy I went to. It was a loss for me, and it took me a whole long time to get used to having to make the decisions that actually I, you know, I, I would be asking his opinion on, um, and then I was making the decisions, and I couldn't ask him because he couldn't give me an answer because he, you know, he, he, that that had gone for him. It kind of changed to I became the parent, he became the kid. Um, in a really weird kind of way. Slowly, after a period of time, her ability to dress herself became quite difficult. And I, I'll always remember one particular day. I used to get up in the morning and so on, and then uh, I'd get her breakfast ready, and then I'll go upstairs and say to her, right, come and have your breakfast, and then we'd, um, she'd go and have a breakfast. And then after that, I'd say, right, will you go off and get yourself dressed then? And off she went. A little while later, she'd come back down again. Anyway, one day this had happened and uh, I was thinking, where on earth is she? And so I trotted upstairs and she was sitting on the bed wearing five pairs of knickers and three bras because she hadn't quite worked. You know, she'd, she'd put one on. I hadn't realised she'd put them on. And so she'd spent the time. And at that stage, I thought, ah, I'm now going to have to help her to get dressed. Now, at that stage in my life, I'd taken an awful lot of bras off, but I had never put one on. And so we, we came to a deal. We laughed about this, I have to tell you. We came to a deal. She did the front and I did the back, and it worked well after that. At the beginning, you look after somebody in a particular way, and at the end, it is totally and absolutely different. And actually, you don't notice because it takes place, that change takes place over quite a long period of time. And I actually found that I got to the stage where I found that what we were like as a couple was actually to us normal. This is how we behave. Men, I think, in general, tend to sort of uh, hide all sorts of things and and tr and try to be the stoical, <laughs> stoical individual. And the great thing about our support group was that there were, I think, something like four men and two women in it. Quite unusual because it's usually around the other way with more women. There were a lot of tears and uh, us sort of guys who are in our late sixties. Doing things like that was a bit odd, but it actually helped enormously. It made me, I think, better at doing what I was doing. I was able to let it out, if you see what I mean.
not everybody gets a diagnosis, not everyone gets any support, not everybody knows what what's coming next. And no and very few people, even when they get a diagnosis, actually know what it means. That level of support, however minimal it was for me, uh, is even less so for people who are coming through uh, as carers now. But as long as the next person that's coming through who's Asian, who isn't all the things that I am, gets help and gets support and gets what they need to have a smoother journey because this is hell on earth. I cannot begin to tell you that, you know, but you, you need some hope. Um, and I think that's why I do it. <laughs> that's what's so good about, you know, dementia carers count is that actually there are courses available. There's somewhere where you can go. You can ask the questions that you're afraid of asking anybody else. Um, you know, and you're going to get an answer from either a, a former carer, a current carer, or, a, or or someone, a professional involved. I, I met someone in a very similar situation to myself who was caring for her mom. And I said to her, get all the help that you can and have me time. Keep some, something that's just yours, that's precious to you because that can very easily go and I did lose it and I you know then couldn't work out who I was because I couldn't separate myself from my parents and the illnesses and all that sort of stuff I tell you what there was one point where things actually changed for me I used to get really angry annoyed upset um before my wife was diagnosed once she was diagnosed I still got angry, annoyed and upset. And then all sorts of other um, emotions came in. But at that stage, I was able to say to myself, but she can't help it. Therefore, it's not her fault. She doesn't mean this. She's not doing this to upset me. She's doing this because it's the way that she's developing as a person, the way she is, her, her mental faculties, if you like, are breaking down. And just that helped enormously for me. Well, the Carers Advisory Panel continues uh, to provide input for the development of the charity. The first courses that were created were just three-day, well, just three-day courses. They were three-day courses, which were very comprehensive, um, uh, took people through lots of issues that they're likely to have, means of dealing with things, how to deal with resilience and a number of issues of that nature. That's one sort of course. Now there are a number of others. So we're providing advice and guidance on uh, developing one day courses, uh, developing specific courses for particular types of issues. And so there's lots more. And uh, Dementia Carers Count are going to continue to develop their service and one of the things they always do is turns to us and say, right, you're the people who would benefit by this. Is this right? Is this wrong? What do we do now? Uh, I think Dementia Carers can have absolutely got their heads screwed on and they talk to us. Now, you could argue that we're not necessarily the best people to talk to, although we've got a fair degree of experience, as have a number of the other people on Dementia Carers Can. But that's actually, I think, absolutely fundamental. And that's why they've actually got some really good courses.